Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome. Welcome, world, to an all-new episode of Comedy Gold Mines. Goddamn. It only gets better. I know people say that, but I actually mean it. It only gets better. And for those who are just now joining, you're probably saying, what is Comedy Gold Mines? So let me fucking make you aware. Is where we get inside the minds of brilliant comedians. Oh my God, and what great minds they are. And today, whoo, today we got an amazing mind. We got an amazing mind, one of my favorite minds. Ladies and gentlemen, we got Sarah Silverman on the goddamn show. Hey, Sarah, how you doing? Art. What an introduction. Did you like I it? I wish people could see what I could see. This guy comes in, <laughs> he finished shooting a scene like six and a half minutes ago, walks into a room, sits down, I'm watching, he puts his things on, puts his mic on, three, two, one. And he's- No, I don't have time to waste. I got too much shit to do. Too much shit to do. But today it's not about me, it's about you, Sarah. I want people to get an opportunity to not only get to know you, but to get to know things that they may not have known about you. Of course, we got to start off and stand up because it's based off of us being comedians. Sarah, how long have you been doing comedy? Oh, my gosh. I started getting like paid sets, $10 sets when I was 19. And that was 30 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> I love the hesitation. I love the hesitation. But why? You know, I've never really understood. I, I kind of understand it, but I don't. You know, when there's such a reservation about um, about the age. And I know, you know, with women, of course, it's different and it always has been different. But I think there's also like a, a, a dope, a dope piece of pride and, and success and story attached to that number as well. And in your case, you know, you're a pioneer. You're a pioneer when it comes to this thing called stand up comedy. And here's why I say that, Sarah. You have always been what I what I would like to call you know, those outside the box thinkers that that have found a way to be so witty, so creative, so dope, and yet so personal to where nobody else can fall into your space. Like your style of stand-up comedy has been so unique and so you, it's never been duplicated. I've never seen, I've never seen nobody like duplicated. Like if I if I could compare you to somebody. I would say you, you, and I hate to do the male female thing, but in this comparison, I'm doing it just for it to make sense. David Tell had such a unique way of thinking, right? Yes. You to me were along those same lines when it came to material. Oh, wait, that's such a compliment. Jokes. I swear to you, I mean it. 
I, I was just to wearing a t-shirt that he gave me that's like, you can see through it. It's so worn out. <laughs> some, it means not like, it's just like some heavy metal, like some hot blonde with big boobs on the front of it or something. <laughs> but you but held on to it. Soft. Why, where do you think your style of comedy came from? I, uh, I, I don't know, you know? I mean, I always wanted to be a comedian. Did you always want to be? I always wanted to be a comedian since third grade. Really? Yeah, I've never. I stumbled on minds. I knew I knew I wanted to do something that was funny, but I can't sit up here and honestly tell you that it was always the plan to do stand-up comedy. I mean, like you didn't think about it until you were the, the funniest guy at the speaker star. I was I was definitely the funniest kid coming up. Right. I was definitely the funniest kid, you know, in class in school. But it wasn't until I got, you know, to that 17, 18 year old age when the opportunity, you know, it, it came and it was brought up in conversation that I was like, oh, shit, that would be dope. And then it became more of a real thing. It was always an idea, but I can't say it was my want. It was a want for you. You knew you wanted that. Yeah, I just I mean, I was like the family. I kept the family laughing. My, You know, I was the youngest. Are you the youngest? I am the youngest. I'm the youngest out of two. My dad has other kids, but I don't I don't claim them. Right. They're not in, in the where, who you grew up with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my dad's got he's got my dad's got a lot of other kids, but I don't really know them all like that. So I always say it's just me and my brother and my dad, other kids. Right. right Does that right. make sense? Yes. How totally. many how many do you have? I've got there's four girls. But I do have like step siblings that were adults when my parents got married, so I never lived with them. And okay. this, so it's the same thing. I never mentioned them, but I love them. But they're older. Like they never lived under the same roof or anything. Because my okay. <laughs> when my mom married their dad. But yeah, but there's four um, four of us, four girls. So was it a shock to anybody when you made the decision to do stand up comedy, or everybody knew it was coming? I think everyone knew it was coming. I was always like, I was the class clown, and you know, like just. Unless I was like in depression, which I was, I could barely even function or go to school. But mm -hmm. other those than those times, I was the clown. Like I was. When, when you say in depression, why? Why was that? I don't know. It, like I remember when I was thirteen, it just came over me. Like, you know how fast like a cloud will cover the sun, and you're like, is it dark out? You know, or mm -hmm. or like, have you ever gotten the flu where you're fine one second and then you're like, oh my god, I have the flu. It was like mm -hmm. that fast. It wasn't like uh, my parents got divorced or I mean, they did, but, you know, it was like just a chemical, like all of a sudden the world looked one degree different to me. And like if your perspective changes one degree, the whole world looks different. And that can be a revelation or horrifying, and you know, terrifying, you know. In your in your older age now, is that something that you still deal with or was that something of the past? Uh. You know, I still deal with it on a mild level, but I can handle it. Like I've been mm -hmm. on Zoloft for since 94. Wow. And wow. just the smallest dose, like mm -hmm. I cut, I break whatever the one is like in half and I take that. And it's just been the perfect thing where I don't feel trapped in the middle with no highs or lows. I do have mm -hmm. highs and lows, but they mm -hmm. aren't they they aren't debilitating as much. Okay. You know, they they don't make me paralyzed with fear, you know, as much. Like I can handle it when I have lows, I can think to myself, like, this will pass. I know okay. for a fact this will pass. You know what I mean? Like, you know what when you say you can handle it, 
and you say, you know, you're you take just the the smallest dose. Um, it's crazy that you say that because I, I I know so many people that now speak as confidently as you do when when talking about anxiety or or depression. And just to tie back into comedy, you know, they say that stand up comics, a lot of us, you know, they say are some of the darkest people uh on I mean, the planet how many comics do you know that killed themselves i mean there's a there's a lot of fucking there's a lot of goddamn dark stories it's attached silly. to stand-up comedy that's a why i always of. think comics should, like i definitely have had that feeling like shit's crazy in this country i should get a gun and learn how to use one and everything and but i'm just like i just don't think comics should have guns it's like we're too whimsical <laughs> you know we're too dangerous. We're already too dangerous. That yeah, we don't want to. Like, we'll, like in a bad moment, we'll we'll blow our brands out. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm fucked not, up, but I think it's I'm, true. I'm not laughing at the idea of a comic blowing their brains out, but I'm laughing at the truth behind <laughs> exactly. comics being so dark. Um, I mean, do you feel like comedy has helped you though? Has has it helped you uh, through these times? Like, has stand up comedy acted as a you know, as a, as a, as a calming, a calming device for you? I mean, um, yeah, I stand up, I, I, I say, you know, don't you feel like stand up just saved your life, you know, Absolutely. like in so many ways. Absolutely. Yes. I, I can't imagine being anything else. You know, you know, people go like, what you do is so brave. And I just think, I think going to a nine to five job is so brave. Like mm. it's, I, I, I feel like, I don't know if I would make it. You know, mm, mm. I, I mean, and I work long hours. I mean, God, you know, it's we work, especially like in acting or shooting stuff. It's just like endless hours, but it's not the time or it's not the work. Like I def, I think I work pretty hard for someone who's inherently so deeply lazy. But what do you mean? Of course you work pretty fucking hard. I don't like, listen, I don't. I don't like when people disrespect the hard work that goes into stand up comedy. Like there's, yeah, there's, there's right. a, there's a crazy amount of work that goes into stand up comedy. And I'm not talking about, you know, just the, the writing of the jokes and the performance on stage. I'm talking about the travel. I'm talking about, you I know, mean, the constant no tug of war in your mind. How often you're at like the Southwest gate, you know, or like just, it's just so much travel, so much time alone. And, you know, I do know comics who can't, be alone mm -hmm. and, you know they always have to have someone with them and everything and you know i just think it's such a benefit if you can really you can really love being alone i i'm a people person i like being with people but to master like being your own best friend is just such a good thing it's a in this. space it's a better space how have you dealt with uh with stand-up comedy and you know the lack of during this pandemic i started a podcast like you I mean, are you I serious where am I, where can I put this? You know? So like, that's been kind of, do you feel this way? Like it's been a real revelation because everyone had a podcast and I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to have one. And then there's no stand up, And I'm like, I have to do a podcast. I mean, I don't know where to put all of this. And it's mm -hmm. been kind of a revelation for me of just like enjoying this, this other form, you know, where mm. they're, where I was like, I can't do zoom stand up. Like you need the audience, but then this is something that, doesn't have an audience and it's I like it in a whole new way but I've always liked odd jobs I like the different you're the same way like I like all the different things you can do in the different mediums you know with the, well, our set of skills there you go that's what I was about to get to I was like you know the thing about stand-up comedy that's so amazing I feel like 
I feel like it opens doors that you had no idea that you would be able to get to. You knew that these doors existed, but you didn't know how to get to them. And I think stand-up comedy, what it does is it puts you as a talent in a, in a place to be able to do so much if you want to, right? Yeah. And, and as a creative mind, we're always thinking, like you said, during the pandemic, you was like, where do I put this? What do I do? Because you're creative. You're, you're, constantly, you're constantly thinking. You're constantly pushing your mind to do more, say more, be more. And, and for me, I'm so goddamn active. I can't not be inactive. I can't. So when the pandemic and everything hit, it was more of a challenge to me to figure out the other things that I can do. What if this is, what if this is the new way of the world? What if this is it? What if this is going to be the new norm? And if it is, then what's the new, what's my new every day? Comedy what's my new way. Oh my God. Or else you're old. I you mean, know, you're like, well, I can't do these newfangled things. I can't learn this technology. It's like, well, then you're old. You're going to be too much. from the past. Do you see it coming back uh, and, and, you know, us being able to get back to the way that that we once were in it? Or do you see like uh, a, a long time period before we're back into those, you know, the 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 crowded spaces, the 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 packed comedy clubs or packed theaters or venues whatever whatever it is do you see it getting back i can't wait to get this fucking vaccine like i just can't wait and i feel like when everyone's got it or most people have it you know we'll never be the same in that in in one good way where it's like people will go like oh i feel sick i'm gonna wear a mask you Mm -hmm. know like so Mm -hmm. i don't I mean, nobody's, no one's even getting the flu because of people wearing masks. Like, it's, it's, you see what the difference is when you wear a mask and wash your hands and stuff. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I hope it comes back. I'm doing, there's some outside shows here and it's good. You know, they're really good, but I still go home and go, oh God, I hope I didn't. I just want to be so safe. I Like, we're so close to the end. And I just like, if I was in New York, I could get a vaccine because they, they're vaccinating people with asthma, but they aren't here yet. Really? But I want it. I mean, you know, I think that uh, you bring up an interesting point. I think the world, of course, becomes a much more comfortable place when the vaccine is is given to to the bulk, you know, when, that, when it's available for so many more people to get it. I think it is going to bring in a, a high level of comfort. Um, it's all about who's taking it, who isn't. And, you know, if the question of it being mandated comes into play, whatever, like it's TBD. I, I don't know. So I don't, I don't like to talk about what I don't know. I'm not that guy. I don't, I don't put the conspiracy theories out there. I don't try to solve them. All I know is that I want the world to get back to being what it once was. And I'm all for whatever fucking does that. That's yeah. that's the fence that I'm on. Um, I will say, though, you know, with stand up comedy, there's more questions that I have for you just in the temperature, the temperature of comedy today. How do you feel? How do you feel about the conversation that's attached to the thing that is a joke? You know, you're a person that's experienced some some fire. You know, you're no stranger to to conversation being attached to a moment or an attempt to be funny uh, and and receiving backlash. How do you feel about that in in today's time? Do you think it's too much? Are you are you ready for you know there to kind of be a leveled out understanding of joking versus not joking or what? 
I could argue either side, you know, obviously I'm like, you know, like two weeks in a row, or like real, I, I'm like apologizing for jokes I made about Britney Spears 14 years ago. I'm apologizing for that. And you know what? I don't, apologizing doesn't shame me. It doesn't scare me. I make me feel free. Like I, I never mm -hmm. understand how it's hard for people. Like I apologize when I'm sorry. I don't apologize when I'm not sorry, but I'm fucking sorry a lot. Like, you know, because comedy isn't evergreen. And to that point I go, I, I'm not a bad person because I mm. did a bad thing in the context of what we've learned in the world. Like I, I fuck, I've lived a long time publicly. I've fucked up a lot. And it's like, because comedy is an evergreen, it's going to go bad. And so, you know how they say like, you can look at the same painting every day for your whole life. And it's, you see it in a new way every time, because you're looking at, added in the context of what's happened in your life. You're looking at the context, the macro of like what's happening in the world and it changes what you see. That's what makes it art. So like seeing comedy as art, it is, you know, mm. it changes. Like now this thing that killed and was so funny is like, we, we cringe at it or it's, you know, it's deeply rooted in racism or it's, you know, it's like all these things that become like, as we wake up more and more and, and, empathize with people and understand people's experiences more like stuff goes bad but I don't know how we I, I think there's a difference between acknowledging the past and making amends with it and 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 litigating the past you know mm. and I just mm. quoted Neil Brennan's joke which is so brilliant of like and I'll, I'll fuck it up terribly, but I think about it all the time in terms of this because they'll go like, he, he has some joke about people going up to LeBron James and being like, this is a picture of you when you were 15 and you're only five, seven. And he's like, yeah, but I grew. Yeah, but this is you, right? And it's like, it is so true. And, and it just, you know, I always call it like righteousness porn because it's like, do people when they point out a fucked up thing you did and they demand an apology or this or that, it's like, do you want this person to change or do you want them secretly to stay the same so you can point to them as wrong and you yourself is right? Such You bring up such a good point. I wish I had a horn on my <laughs> podcast so I could, meh, meh, meh. I wish I had a DJ horn. <laughs> So I could me 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 Oh my god. It's the reason why is because you know it's it's something that I talked about for so long, right? And you said two things that just stood out to me. The first thing that you said is, you know, I can I can I can understand it and there's some of it that I can debate, but I'm okay with apologizing when I'm supposed yeah. to apologize or when I should. And and I say that to say, I felt like, I feel like today's time is teaching a lot and it's showing, it's showing a lot as well, right? And yeah. and it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird line that we're walking on. And, and the line is, we wanna correct these problems so that moving forward things can be better. But in correcting these problems, we're attempting to reprimand people in a way that they cannot ever come back from, which is hypocritical too. We want to grow and be better. If you right? don't present any path to redemption, 
then of course people's porcupine needles will go up and they'll get defensive about it instead of being open and welcome to like, hey, join us. <laughs> We're in the I'm, present. It's like, you know, it's unbelievable because if you, you know, if you go back and you look at so many different stand-up comedians from back in the day, you know, if you go watch all of Def Jam, if you go watch all of BET's Comic View. If you go watch a lot of the specials from a lot of the greats from back in the day, there's so many things that were said that in today's time that could be taken and that could be blown up into the weight of the world, right? And, and it's almost as if like we have to make a choice to leave the past things in the past. And, and if you are bringing them up, it's, it's in a way to make someone understand and when a person yeah. shows they do understand, then totally. it's let's look at it. Let's see. Let's see through our modern, smarter, broader lenses mm -hmm. what that was. But to to just vilify the person saying it, who is just one of a million, you know, whatever. It's just it's really odd, you know, it's odd. but I can say that I've honestly learned a lot. I'm thankful for the things that were highlighted, especially with me, because, you know, it, it calls for not only just a better understanding, but just a, a, a better way to see the world and understand how people feel. And that's a big thing because as stand-up comedians, you know, it's easy for us to disregard or bypass or assume. So now to actually have to just have the thought of how this may make someone feel, it's, it's something that should exist. I'm not mad that that exists. I don't look down on that. I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. I don't want to hurt nobody, Sarah. I'm not in the business <laughs> to hurt nobody. I mean, that's, that's the, the point. Like, no, no comic wants to hurt people. We're trying to make you laugh. You yeah, know? like we're not trying to hurt nobody. It's, it's a crazy thing that we have to say that. Like, yo, I don't want to hurt nobody. I'm trying to be funny. And if my attempt to be funny isn't funny, then I missed I missed. And that's the that's the part that I think sometimes is overlooked that there's a big gamble, you know, from a comedian standpoint of trying to do whatever they're trying to do. If it's not funny, well, then it falls on them. And fuck, I missed. Totally. <laughs> it didn't yeah, work. It's about hitting and missing in comedy. Like you can't you can't figure out what works if you're not like doing tons of stuff that doesn't work. And, you know, always with, you know, you know, we kind of like um, explore the darkest corners of humanity, you know? So like, for me, I always want the the laugh, the comedy to be more than the, the horror of mm -hmm. what I'm talking about, like, mm -hmm. obviously. But as the years pass, those things can shift. Now I'm looking back at it and it's far more horrifying than funny. But I, I mean, but you know, when I made it, it felt different, you know? I don't know. I, I like, I like that you know, once again, we have something to look back at. And, you know, you get to say just how you just made the comparison of a painting or just, you know, when you're talking about Neil's growth, Neil's joke, uh, Neil Brennan's joke, you know, you're talking about growth. Overall, as people, we're just supposed to get better. We're supposed to continue to improve. And you're not supposed to go backwards. And the older you get, the more wiser you get. So I just feel like, you know, as comedians, we should kind of, we should kind of get that, that level of understanding of, hey, what we once were, we don't have to be today. You, yeah. you can't, you can be different. 
You can. You don't have to be. I think Shaka, uh, Shaka Senghor is like, you know, you shouldn't, we don't have to be defined by our worst moments. You know? Oh, that's so good. That's so good. This is Comedy Gold Mines with host Kevin Hart. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Now back to Comedy Gold Mines, hosted by Kevin Hart. Ladies and gentlemen, we got Sarah Silverman on the goddamn show. Hey, Sarah, are you a big, uh, big reader? I'm a, no, I'm a medium-sized reader. Okay. I mean, I, mean? you know, I, well, that... I have to read a lot of stuff and, mm -hmm. and, and then I read a lot of stuff on my own. I'm, I read so much every day, but I'm a, um, slow reader, I'm a labored reader. I'm slow as fuck. Yeah. So, I, I, so, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm reading something with other people, like on the screen, I'm like, don't forward it yet. I'm not done. <laughs> I'm a slow reader, but, um, but I'm thorough. You, you know? understand what you're reading. I know what I've read because I've read it over and over and over again in order to get it inside my brain. What else does Sarah do? Sarah, what are your other, what are your other go-tos? What are your other life? your life fulfillments. What else do you enjoy? Well, I mean, I'm like you that I really like the different kinds of work, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm nothing like you. Yeah, I don't know how you do what you do. I think the common thread of people like you, people like you, who uh, <laughs> can just do um, unbelievable amounts of things. I mean, because when I'm busy, I get more stuff done. So I understand that piece mm -hmm. of it, but you work out like at four in the morning, right? Are mm -hmm. you one of these guys? Four that in the gives you four so much energy for the rest of the day. There was like a Absolutely. short time where I was, where I decided to get a trainer and he would train me at like seven in the morning. And I'm like, what? But it gave me like, I felt like I had 10 more days in my day. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm not really doing that right now. <laughs> what else do what, I do? I do like do? to exercise though, a little bit. You know, I like to okay. get my sweat on. Well, we played in that basketball. You play every year, but I played once in that like basketball. Yes. I wasn't good. In a celebrity it. game. You were the MVP. being good. I was the MVP because I'm a phenomenal <laughs> athlete. That's why. I'm a phenomenal right. athlete. The reason why I ask you like what else, because I know, you know, Comedy is a thing. Comedy takes up a lot of time, especially when we have the opportunity to do it, uh, unlike now. But when we can be out and about, you know, stand-up comedy, it's a seven-dayer. It's a seven-dayer yeah. if you want it to be. It's as active as you want it to be. So, you know, when when 
for me, you start to tap into other things. You start to get these these other hobbies, these other likes, these other these other things that just activate your brain uh, and keep you, you know, keep you busy. Um, I am a workaholic. I'm a yeah. fucking workaholic. I'm I'm addicted. Can to you get work. quiet? Can I sit in a space by myself and just shut off? Yeah, just quiet. I need if I'm doing that. It's it's mainly for sleep. If if I have a script to read and I haven't read it, I can shut off for like an hour and a half. I will honestly tell you, as a father of four kids, oh it's very rare that I can wow. be by myself. You know, married, four kids in the house. So, you know, your moments of alone, you're never going to truly be alone. And there's no way out of that. There's no way out of it. Like, you know, it's it's not like, yo, dad, I'm, I'm going for a quick ride. Dad will be back. Where are you going? I'm going to come. You know, you got teenagers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come ride with you. Right. Or is it the, the little one? Dad, don't know. Hey, take him with you, babe. All right. I'm going to take him with me. It's like, you know, and if you are on a ride and you're by yourself when I am in the car, because I love to drive, you yeah. know, you're blasting. That's music. great meditative time. Just drive. Blast music. So I can say hour, hour and a half, you know, max two hours. But even when I'm doing the drives. I'm with my friends and we're all in different cars and we're stopping, pulling over locations, eating, talking. Then we get back in the car. So it's never really, truly just a day where I'm by myself, but I can stay at home. I get the feeling of Zen, of everything is shut down because I'm in that environment. Does that make sense? Yeah. And also just there's something to like when you're a workaholic, when to have family time and like your own community you've made that is like relaxing and, Absolutely. and that kind of Absolutely. thing. I mean, I, how, how old are your kids? My kids are, my youngest is five months, six months. She's six months. Oy. My son Zoe is three years, <laughs> three years old. And my, my son Hendrix is, 14, 14. My daughter, Heaven, is about to be 16. Can you believe it? 16 fucking years old, man. 16 years old. 16. She's about to be 16. Talking to me about a car. Talking to me about life, about apartments, about college. Does she want to go away? Does she want to stay? This is insane to me. Insane to me, sir. A teenager? I have a teenager? My son is taller than me. What? What is happening? It's a shit show. That's one thing I miss the most is like not holding any of my friends' babies. Like I just want to hold a baby or like <laughs> just for like an hour, you know, like get a friend's baby to just like fall asleep on you, sit in a rocking chair. You really love kids? You're like a yeah, kid but lover? I never had them because I love doing whatever I want at all times a little bit more. Wow. I love that though. I love that you're honest about that. Yeah, well, you know I, I, I can't even believe people can make dis- like that big of a decision ever. <laughs> like, to, like to say, shut it down. I'm gonna have a baby. Yeah. And also, it's just like, it's so funny. I was doing Oddball Fest mm-hmm. and talking to and I used to just say like a comic, but he's like, you'd say this the story with my name. But I was talking to Jim Jeffries and I was having like a real crisis where I'm like, 
I guess I'm just not having kids. Like I just always saw myself as having kids and I, I'm just, I guess I'm not going to do that. It's so weird. And it was kind of like, and he goes, you should do it. You know, I can't do accents. I'm just like, you should do it. It's fun. You need to be a great mom. And I'm like, oh, I should do it. It's fun. Like who's watching your two-year-old right now for the next three months in Australia? Like it's different. You know, if I had like, a, if I had a partner that wanted to be like a stay at home dad mm-hmm. and be like the primary and I could be like the fun dad that comes home and gives like the best of myself, you know, does it come up in relationships? Like, is it, is it a deal breaker in relationships for you when it comes up? If a kid conversation comes up are you like deuces, I'm out. I can't do this. I mean, it really has, hasn't. I, you know, I was with someone for a long time who said, I'm not having more kids because he had kids. And then, and then like eight years later, he w- married someone and had more kids. And I was like, oh, okay. So you, I guess you just don't have kids with me. But, um, so I just, now I'm just like, it's too late. But my boyfriend now, we're, we both love kids, but we want to be free, you know? So we're just like, let's just like adopt an adult couple and then like we'll be like young grandparents to their have you ever seen have you ever seen a movie for christmases yes that's that's you vince vaughn and vince uh, vaughn and reese witherspoon vince vaughn reese witherspoon neither one of them wanted kids and they were so okay with it they were like no it's cool no we don't it's like not our thing we don't need to do it we feel like kids uh you know it's just it, it, it fucks it up it was like it fucks it up but you know we can see other people's kids it's fine and then of course in the movie later on they wanted to have kids because they saw what kids could do but there was a strong reason behind not having kids there was a great yeah. I mean, reason I'm not, for them. i love kids I don't even if I want to like mold my life around them. No, you don't even have to explain it that much to me. I kind of I get it. I kind of get it. And I understand it. But I understand it because I'm in your profession. So I understand what you mean when you say I kind of like doing what I do. And I want to go on the road. I want to do a movie. I want to do, you know, like whatever. And I just need like it's tough. A partner that would into it. I want to talk who does Sarah Silverman like? I want to talk when it comes to stand-up comedy, who does it for Sarah? What comedians make you go, wow, that's fucking insane. I'm so envious of this person's talent and the way that they approach their craft. Oh, man. I mean, Chappelle comes to mind. I just, you know. Great. Son of a bitch is in his jello right now, too. He just... He's really in there. He's really in like a a crazy creative space where he's just not missing. He's not yeah, missing just, at all. He's just so prophetic and and like just the facing history and ourselves aspect of him. And it's and you know, and he and the joy of doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. I see it in you too. It's just like that pure joy of, you know, every time I you know, I, I, with myself, I'm like this, or I see someone just like, fucking have to do this and blah, 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 and I go, hold on. This is the dream, right? Because <laughs> mm. otherwise quit. Like, mm. Mm. I want to say it so dream, many times. You know? and then, like sometimes like you can get, be on a set or something and be like, you know, why didn't blah, blah, blah. And then I'm just like, what? stop it. You're doing what you love. This is the fucking dream. You're doing what you stop. love. You're part of of a very small percentage of people that are doing what they love. Yeah. And then there's another percentage of people that are seeking after 
the thing that they love. They're trying to find it. They're trying to figure out what that thing is. And then there's other people that are doing what they have to do. Right. Then there's some people that are just looking for an opportunity. I mean, you can break it down, which is why, you know, I don't I don't judge anyone at all because I understand how tough it is out there. But you will never hear me bitch or complain. You will never hear me bitch and complain because since the age 18, I've been doing what I love. I genuinely love it. I genuinely wake up every day and I'm excited to do it whenever I have the opportunity to. And anything that comes from it, I'm excited about it. There's no world where it's ever negative. There's no world where it's ever fucked up. And I'm and I'm thankful for that. So when you say, wait, this is the dream, I get it. I fucking get it, man. I get it. I pick it up. I dig it. Do something else. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's sometimes like, someone's doing a grind of a show and it's like, and they aren't happy. It's like, don't, you know, to, don't, don't, do them, Just but, say don't. You know, but if you're going to do it, like any, cool. you know, like that, listen, the, the PAs are there before you get there and leave after you got there. They have a longer, they will always have a longer day than you. My PAs, of course, she's talking about production assistants. When you're on movies or you're on any type of set, there's PAs that are working. And they do a very, 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 very good job. But it's a tough job. So there's so many other people that would kill for the position. It's basically what Sarah's saying. And I get it. Did you ever pass out flyers and stuff? Like, did you work, did you work at the Boston Comedy Club? Or were you like... I didn't, I didn't go through the passion flyers or bringers route. Uh. I didn't go through that period. I did have to do the hang around at the comedy clubs and just kind of wait for an opportunity to come. Yeah. I did the be seen. You got to be seen. You got to say hello. You got to show up. You got to be persistent. They got to know that you're in New York and know that you're real. And, you know, for, for my listeners, Sarah's referring to the world of stand-up comedy, um, you know, in the beginning for, for new comedians, you know, to get on stage at these comedy clubs, you got to pass out flyers. You got to sometimes bring people and you got to make people spend money on two drinks. There's so many things that you have to do to get stage time. Um, and fortunately, you know, personality, charm, it worked on my, on my side because yeah. it was about becoming a lot of these club owners friends before I got the opportunity to get on stage and when they gave it to me I didn't drop that ball you know I never fucked it up I didn't fuck that up um here's a question I got for you though right is there an interaction with a comedian that has stood out to you that that has made an impact on you like for example um I always talk about this moment that I had with Chris Rock right where Chris Rock told me hey man you gotta get out the country he said, the world loves to laugh, not just your city, not your city, not your state. The world loves to laugh and you got to figure out how to get out the country. And that's always stuck with me. And to this day, I'm very thankful that I can travel the globe and tell jokes. But it, it opened up the space of opportunity for me by being able to make the world laugh and not just one group or one place. But right. that advice kind of changed, changed my narrative, changed my approach. And it stuck with me. Has any comedian ever given you any type of advice like that? Any something that has stuck with you for your career? Um, I mean, the thing that pop, I'm sure I could think of a lot more, but the thing that's popping up to me is like I, I became 
friendly with Gary Shandling and he was a mentor to me. And mm -hmm. in terms of stand-up, just not being afraid of the quiet moments on stage, but using them as much as, you know, like negative space, like just using mm. it as much as the stuff you're saying. Mm. The pauses and the moments in between the words, like can have just as much meaning or power and you don't have to get scared. You know, it's like, you know, Chris Rock, he doesn't know this, but he, I learned such a lesson. Whoa, sorry. Such a lesson watching him in the early days, he'd be on at um, the comic strip and he wasn't exactly how he is now performative wise. He was mm -hmm. quiet. But one thing he did that was so powerful and he wasn't famous, you know, he would get on stage and like the audience is like animals there, you know, <laughs> strip. absolutely. And they're all yelling and this, and it's hard to get. And, and I, your instinct as a comic is to get louder and faster. And, you know, it's like this, it's so sweaty, you know, like audiences are like dogs. They smell like your fear. You know, you even if you're doing some character that's like an insecure character or something like that, like they know if you are they need to know something needs to transcend that tells them, like, I've got this. I'm a mm -hmm. professional. You're in good hands because they need to they want to relax, you know, and be able to just laugh. And, but anyway, he never got loud or fast, like under the pressure of like an audience not being focused and not quite listening Such yet. A good point. He would just start and he would tell his jokes. And if you missed it because you're talking or you're loud, that sucks for you. And he got the audience to get quiet and come to him. And I was like, wow, you know? That's, a, that's not only, I mean, a fact. It's, it's so, 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 it's so dominant within Chris's style, you know, he's 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 such a material driven guy. Yeah, his performance is a performance, granted, but he's he's a material guy. You know, there's substance and meaning behind the things that he's saying, and this this story that he's telling, it's all going to tie in together. So, you know, ultimately, when you miss things, well, you're missing it, but you're going to be able to catch up because he's going to give you things later on that revert back to some other things that he said. And I feel like all the greats do that. All the greats have such amazing connective tissue. But the one thing that you just said that you do so well, you play with those levels in a room. Like Sarah, you never seem uncomfortable. You never, you never buckle. Well, discomfort's my sweet spot. Like I it's, love getting uncomfortable. It's so, know? but it's so good. Like you, you just, you're, it's so poised. It's so professional, you know, like you're, 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 you're a comics comic. And, and I think I can say that I say it confidently, you know, you're you're truly a comics comic where you're respected by so many and and adored, not just because of your style, but because you you find yourself being a fan of just your approach to the craft. And I mean, that. like that's that's me saying it 1000 percent authentically. Like I'm that's the best this compliment you can get. I mean, that's I'm, I'm dead ass. You're listening to Comedy Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert. 
And I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure. Because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Now more from Kevin Hart on Comedy Gold Mines. This is Comedy Gold Mines, and today we got it to the mind of Sarah Silverman. I remember we did we did a casino. We did a casino together. Oh, I forgot God. what show. With Attell. Yes, yes. Attell was on it as well. Um, and I remember I was hosting. I was hosting the show, right? And I remember standing in the back as each act went on, and I watched you. And I just love the fact that like we're in this huge ass arena and you treated it like a comedy club. You treated it like a fucking comedy club, meaning that you made this big arena get small and intimate and you had your way with the show. Like it's it's dope. I, I just love I love to admire people that are fucking good at what they do. And you are that you are that you've been that. Well, it's like, it's such a life. Isn't life so long if you let it like, mm. I just feel like there's been so many versions of me, you know, I mean, I think that's part of comedy is going like, who am I, you know, mm -hmm. and not deciding who you are per se, but realize, you know, just like realizing what you, who you are and then watching how that changes, you know? But you got to bring that to the stage, you know, it's like, it's like, I remember after my first special, I just felt beholden to be this like arrogant, ignorant character, you know, and but then I was like, okay, so if if what the audience wants is to be surprised, that's what they expect from me is like shock or surprise, because that's like what I what I was doing. Then if I do that, I'm giving them what they're expecting. And then that's not surprise, you know, and I was going, I had a real identity crisis. And then what I realized, and again, Chris Rock is such a good example of this, is you have to have the nuts, you have to have the vagina <laughs> to, to start from zero again. Absolutely. Even if you're famous and people know you, and when they say your name, they go, woo! You have to be willing to disappoint them. Absolutely. With new shit that doesn't work. And Absolutely. if you want to give them a good show and you want to kill because that feels good, but you have to try new shit, you have to start from zero, and you have to be willing to, that's what's brave about comedy. Absolutely. Starting fucking over. And I realized like, second guessing what the crowd wants there's nothing more there's nothing that kills comedy more than the second guessing of your audience you got to do what you think is funny stick with the you know like i'm still like i'm doing some outdoor shows here and there spots lately so i'm getting but in it's like you got to try new stuff even though like everything i've been working on feels so old that I haven't done anything with the material other than like it in shows. So it's like, Oh, still want to hold on to it, but you want to write some new stuff just to make it all feel fresh again. And I'm like trying this new thing and it is not where the audience doesn't like it, but I love it. <laughs> and you know, you definitely give those way too many tries, but I still go like, 
They're horrified and it's a really dark joke, but maybe it just needs an and or a pause, you know, like. Yeah, you're talking about the process. There's nothing more right. exciting. There's nothing like, okay, tell me, tell me if this makes sense to you. I'm gonna give you my highs, right? Highs is when you've developed an hour set and you finally go, okay, I'm ready to go out, right? You, that's a high. I've yeah. worked a year I've got this set where I want it. Okay, I'm ready to now go out. This is a high for me. And going out, touring successfully, man, this set is working. So dope. Now you get past the middle part. Now it's like, oh, fuck. I'm, I've been doing this for a while. God damn it, I want to start getting new shit, but I can't. I don't want to fucking... I don't want to do it now. I don't want to break up this set that's good. I don't want to start adding stuff to it because that new stuff can be used for when I need a new set. Fuck, I'm going to ride this out. My next high is on the last date of the tour where after the show, I mentally throw the material that I just did for a year away. I yeah. make a promise to myself, well, that's it for that. I'm not going back to that. Now... Whenever I decide to get on the stage, the next high is exactly what you just talked about, Sarah, is having absolutely nothing. Fucking nothing. I got nothing. I just got this big roar to get on stage. That's all oh, I boy. Before I go on, I'm like, I have nothing. <laughs> oh, boy. They're going to fucking be mad when I fucking open my <laughs> mouth because I got nothing. And it's okay with that. I'm okay with having nothing. I'm okay with the bad set. I'm okay with it not going well. The reason why is because out of that moment of having nothing, I get off stage having one thing. I got something. I got a little piece. I got a little nugget. I, I'm going to take this little nugget. I'm going to take this little nugget. I'm going to cook this bitch and it's going to grow. And now I found new love for my craft because now every day I'm excited to get back on stage and build. So basically it's comics to everybody listening right now. You're listening to two comedians talking about the process, being in love with the process. That's what makes you respect comedy. That's what makes you stick around for comedy. That's how you get the 20, 30 years in comedy. It's the process. It's the process of always being able to give the crowd something. I'm going to give you something. No, it's like you it's like a you talking to Seinfeld. I would ask you to listen. He did he did comedy gold mines. Yeah, and he did your first one, right? Yes. And our conversation, Sarah was so dope because of the passion and commitment that he still has to the craft. He still, he still has such a passion and love for comedy. Yeah. And just a joke, the science of like figuring out one joke. And you know, what was, no, what inspired me a lot is um, Joan Rivers said that she didn't feel like she really hit her stride and stand up until she was 70. And wow. like, I just love hearing that. Holy and if you shit. look at her career, it's like, first she was like, can we talk? And she did this and, <laughs> you know, like she changed so much, you know, while always being herself and, you know, we're very different. And, but like, I, I just admire her so much. She never stopped working. She would go to that, the cutting room in New York and just try new shit every week. I mean, like, 
You have he to be such envious a of true that. blue stand up. You have yeah. to be envious of that. I mean, any any comic that that has not only made a living off of telling jokes, but still loves laughing. There's some comics that lose. It. There's some comics that get dark. There's some comics that go down that I, I call it the hallway. They go down this dark hallway, and it's a bunch of there's a bunch of bitter rooms down this dark hallway. And some yeah. of them just go and stop, and they stay in these rooms, and they don't get back to the space of where they. Or where they just enjoy laughing, right? They just enjoy laughing. I think it's something very special and unique love, like, about the comics that laugh. To know that you could have like a belly laugh every day, like a big one. Like my boyfriend and I laughed last night. We were sobbing. We were laughing so hard. And we were just like, God, it feels so good. Like I just, I just love it. I love that feeling. And to make someone, like to make people laugh like that, it like ever since I was even little, it makes my arms itch like with glee. I can't explain it. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Sarah. I, I love I love these conversations. You know, this is the reason why I wanted to do this. You know, these conversations. Like, and, how, you know, you do a big comedy show or something or a show with a bunch of comics and, you know, they'll go, oh, we're all going to this after party. And I'm like, that's cool. But it's like to me backstage with the comics afterwards is the after party. Is that's the the after party. party. Like that's I just want to, I want to be in a quiet diner dying, laughing and doing bits. I don't want to go someplace where it's so loud. You can't hear each other. Like the whole thing is like either doing bits or getting deep and talking about what we do is just, I will say that is the one thing that I do miss, you know, uh, living in Los Angeles that got taken away from me. Right. And it's, it's not, you know, nobody's fault. But New York presented such an amazing, an amazing, like, an amazing space for community yes. within comedians. New York presented this, this layout, like, after the club, you go upstairs here, you can eat. Hey, around the corner from right here, there's a pizza place in the comic stand and they get pizza. Oh, shit, you go right here uh, in Caroline's and everybody goes to the bar area and they get their food. Hey, man, okay, well, the Boston, yeah, people perform here, but then they will walk either to the bodega here or they would go here. There was such a community of comedian comedians locations that you always it didn't matter it didn't matter if you were in the end or not in the end you yeah. knew where everybody yeah, was of, uh, you know the comedy seller oh my god i just, um, just... facetimed with sd oh i, I miss sd i haven't talked you to should SD. reach out because you know i think she's, she's living with her son and it's just like i mean to not have the seller it's just like i miss her i miss her. i am going to reach out Show I'm up. saying it on this podcast. You just said something and I and I need to and I'm going to. I'm going to uh, reach out to Esty. I promise you I am. Esty Esty is not only just a dope a dope person that means so much to comedy. She was a good woman, yo. Like she was she was just such a good a good woman. And even within her rules and the things that she had, Esty <laughs> was just she was a she was it doesn't matter how successful you get. If no. you are on stage and she walks in the room, you are in a panic. Yes. <laughs> I mean, oh, like shit. Oh, shit. SD wants me off. 
What did I do? What the fuck did I do? Yeah, or just like, oh, God, I'm not, you feel like, I feel like I've never done stand-up in my life the uh, second I see her. Oh, one. God. Oh, God. <laughs> Shouts out to SD. Shouts out to the comedy seller in general. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, how about this? Shouts out to you. You were exactly what I thought you would be. It's easy. It's easy conversation. It's great dialogue. And it's with no prep. I don't fucking write these questions down. I mean, I I'm just, sitting watching you and I'm like, man, you're just seamless. No, I don't. This isn't written down. This is just it's dialogue. And this is what we do as comics. This is what we do. And the purpose for this is to really, really bring attention to how easy it is for us to talk. But not only talk, but just give information. The information that comes from comedians in my mind is so fucking dope because of the way we think, because of how we operate. Yeah, I think we get high on truth. Yes. Whatever it is. Yes. Yes. That back and forth. Truth. Truth. I I, I stand on that. I stick to it. I was um I, I was just flipping through the channels and I ended up watching this movie I'd never seen beginning to end. And it's not mm -hmm. one of your I mean, I love so many of your movies. I love the what is it, Central Intelligence mm -hmm. told me. <laughs> but I could go on and on. But it was a movie where so many huge stars before they were stars. It was called like the five year engagement. Oh, yeah. Jason Siegel, uh, Emily. And Emily, Emily Blunt's in there. But it's like. Mindy Kaling, myself. Yeah. Mindy Kaling, you, Randall Park. Like, yeah. just, just I couldn't believe how many. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. It was crazy. I was like, this cast is insane. I, I was playing. That was me playing the I was uh, I was a guy that was in school with the Michigan University. But I was I was I was caught up on masturbation. Yes. My, my big thing was was masturbation. I wanted every theory. We were a class full of future psychiatrists. That, and, you know, we always had theories. We always had studies and everything always wrapped back to masturbation. <laughs> it was so, it was a, that was a really fun movie. I liked watching it. It was good. Shout out to uh, to Jason Siegel, who was the star of that one, man. Very, very funny guy. But I very love funny watching movie. stuff when like I love watching old law. We have to wrap this one. I'm sorry. But I love watching all old law and orders where it's like, you know, I'll maybe have a puff and it's late at night. I'm watching it and it'll be like, you know, Viola Davis is like playing a young crooked cop and it's like she's fucking brilliant in it. And I'm like, I remember just like I was like crying, like you end up winning an Emmy and an Oscar in the oh same God. year. You know, like I love oh just God. talking to the TV at like actors and saying like, at you're the younger versions, the younger versions of themselves. Well, you yeah. can tell, you can tell my younger character in five year engagement. Hey man, you're going to fuck up a lot, but you're going to be all right. Just you're like, not going to believe. I just love it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Comedy Gold Mines, and today we got into the mind of Sarah Silverman. What an amazing mind she has. Sarah, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for doing this. Nice means the world. Uh, I'm here for you if you need me. You need me, All you right. get it right back. I promise you. Love you. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald.
Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.